0: back i was on vacation last week and the atrium was on vacation uh, last week as well and so we are back with episode number 54
1: yeah you came to support my sermon but not mark's
0: well <laughs> true um I,
1: or you trusted mark more than well that. yeah
0: support <laughs> might be a strong word <laughs> <laughs> so, i know when i leave mark's got things handled i yeah. just stuck around just in case no you guys both did a. Uh, wonderful job you uh, naturally talked about Noah. because that what was next on the list? And you Abrahamed it up. I went to Providence Church on Sunday morning. I went to their nine o'clock in person, just me, not uh, Rachel and Henry. Um, Pastor Austin Shaw. I've been there when I'm on break. I go there quite often now uh, because I know a bunch of the pastors out there. And it's a solid church doctrinally, and I think that that um, is why I feel comfortable there as well. Very different from Hope in their style and kind of presentation. Uh, but Pastor Austin is a, is a great guy, And but almost every time I've gone, he hasn't preached. And so I, I went yeah, on Sunday, and then I caught the uh, 1030 online of your sermon um, on Sunday. But thank you guys for, for doing that. I'm getting back into the saddle this week and uh, Mother's Day this this week. Already. Already.
1: Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah.
0: So on Mother's Day, I'm going to be preaching about sacrificing your son. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> Isaac, so. <laughs> <laughs> and one might think that that wasn't planned. Mm-hmm. Uh, always but, just... <laughs> I know it all seems improv. There's a reason. You're not going to want to miss <laughs> this Sunday going to uh, get heavy uh so yeah last week i was on vacation and we didn't go anywhere we just kind of hung around we have some friends from georgia uh coming down our old neighbors uh, they were our direct neighbor next door and my wife rachel and the neighbors uh her name was rachel rachel and, and trevor they got two kids uh, a girl named charlie and then a girl named Sloane. and henry got super close because they were 20 feet apart and uh would just hang out like crazy. And so then they moved to Georgia for Trevor's work. And so they were in town kind of doing the hitting all the friends. And so they stayed with us for a couple of days and that was three kids, three kids in the house. You have three kids in your house. Yeah. And what I found is that with three kids in the house, it was chaos. <laughs> Do you find this to be true? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. One, I mean, Henry's a busy kid yeah, and he's into a lot of unique things um there's always an open umbrella in our house now a lot of wind chimes in various places uh he's into some you know unique things certainly but with three kids in the house within two seconds and i'm not complaining because i didn't mind the chaos i say chaos i don't mean that necessarily negatively yeah um every everything was out every every drawer was emptied (laughs) He says your kids are older now, but when they were younger, that just had to be, yeah, it's bonkers. Yeah, you, Chad, you won't You got <laughs> one kid.
1: Got yeah, one kid, but yeah, um, my my wife Liz went to hang out with a couple of our mutual friends who have um, kids that are four months each apart from Ledger. Yeah, I okay. believe so. They're all pretty close in age. Yeah, um, but Liz came back with these stories after they played together over the weekend, and everybody, all the moms were like. Ledger's completely different from the other two. Mm. Like those two, the other two wanted to hang out and go in a wagon. When they went on a long walk, my son walked like the full mile yeah. <laughs> and ran the full mile, had a black eye. Yeah. This was like running on tons of things out there in, in the pathway. Yeah. And we'd run them like we do at home. She ran him to the point where he just went to bed. Yeah. Th- those kids needed like 10 books read to them. Oh, yeah. They had a whole routine. Mom, come hold my hand. For yeah. this amount of time, yeah, Ledger's like,
0: I'm out. Because you think he burned off all his energy.
1: Yeah, but his energy when he's up is way higher than those kids. Yeah. So. So he's Hen- a unique cat.
0: <coughs> Henry has very high energy and still doesn't want to go to bed. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. I find I want to go to bed somewhere around one in the afternoon <laughs> now. Yeah. For, for a period to say that at 1 13 p.m <laughs> yeah oh no i've been <laughs> asleep for 13 minutes as you can tell by this riveting conversation <laughs> i know he wants to hear uh so it was a good week for us we had them in town and then had a couple of days off and then it was rachel's birthday uh, this past friday oh, cinco wow. de mayo and it's interesting because rachel always seems to crave a mexican birthday meal she enjoys the mexican and we can never go Uh, because it's always too packed Uh (laughs) i should say we can never go we've we always forget that that's what she wants to do Um, but we had a good birthday and then uh, we had spent some time with family we got to go see my dad rachel's dad and stuff came over so it was a a busy week but good to be back with you guys as well as being on the atrium and we've got some questions today that we're going to cover but before we get to that Pastor Mark, would you like to, well, do you have anything you want to say about Noah? Why don't we do a little, maybe a quick recap.
1: Of, recap both?
0: Yeah, why not? Because yeah. we're in this series called By Faith. We're going through Hebrews chapter 11. We talked about Abel. We talked talked about Enoch. And then uh, we went straight to to Noah. Yeah, Chad, you handled that. So. Yes. Maybe a quick recap if you remember. Sure. I'm not <laughs> yeah. saying no, no, no. Well, you would have to preach a lot of sermons. It's just, it was,
1: it's just right out of there. Oh,
0: dude! Sometimes it is for me.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. So two Sundays ago, I was tasked with part three of by faith. Talked about Noah and uh, what we did with the story of Noah. You know, looking in Hebrews eleven seven, uh, how he's the one declared righteous in the entire world at that time. How how can we look at his life and take note of how he was steadfast? He was identified as the steadfast one who walked with God. And he's similar to Enoch, similar to um, to Abel and those who come before him in that passage. But like I said, they have very different lives that they live, very different work that they're called to do. Their their stories end very differently, but they're all um, sharing that commonality that they persevere by faith. And so what I wanted everybody there in our congregation to understand from from Noah's story was, look at the fact that he was working on this ark he's called to do, which seems ridiculous in the first place, long story short, Um, but he he works on it for about 100 years. Yeah, That's what we can guess, and so, you know, that's going to be close to a lot of our expected lifetimes, so he spent a lifetime remaining steadfast to the work that God called him to do from his word, so how can we do that? How can we live a legacy, a steadfast legacy um, where we spend the rest of our lives dedicated to the work that God calls us to do, and that common thing that we're all called to do is communicate His word clearly in how we live and from our words. So that's kind of what we um, landed the plane on. Yeah. Landed the boat on. There you go.
2: <laughs> <laughs> do you land boats? <laughs> sure. To put a bow tie on it.
1: Uh, to, to put a bow tie on it, but we're not boat. we're not there yet. I don't a, a bo- boat a bow tie. tie. Okay, uh, yeah. I like it. <laughs> yeah.
2: I feel
0: like if you're landing a boat, you shouldn't have a boat. <laughs> I Isn't feel it, like I
1: feel like you dock boats. I feel like that still works, but uh, boat Isn't tie. Is it called a
0: boat landing? <laughs> yeah. Maybe it is. I think that's where you load the boat in the landing. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Bob would know
1: this. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yes. Yeah, so, then Abraham. <laughs> right.
0: So we go from Abel to Enoch to Noah.
2: To Father
0: Abraham, mm. yeah, I was waiting for you to bust
2: out. I did for service, did you? and I forgot to do it second service. Man. it was in my notes even and <laughs> I, I even didn't. wrote
0: it in my diary.
2: <laughs> <laughs> like <Mark laughs> I, had a very Mark funny, had a funny song <laughs> about Abraham today <laughs> Yeah no, I sang it for I sang it first service uh, um, And then how I, far did you get into it? Man, so I didn't do any actions like. <laughs> that's what I. That's what yeah, I would have came for. Yeah. He brings um, out his guitar. Yeah, <laughs> it's an Adam Sandler bit. Because we say we're sons of Abraham in that song, and oh, I, you know, Father I Abraham many sons. Yeah. I am one of them, and so are you. you. And uh, that was my point. Was,
0: did you always start with sons right arm and daughters? When you, oh, did. I don't remember. Okay,
2: yeah. I know we always
0: started with right arm and open door. Yeah, right arm, father. Yeah, boy, that went on forever too. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's what the youth leaders, for those that don't know what we're talking about, there's a song. Uh, would, would it be titled father Abraham? I, that's the name of it. I think, is that yeah. the name of it? Yeah. It was a Sunday school song, a children's song that you just sang about father Abraham. And then for some reason you would, uh, at least how we did it at open door youth group in Abbey road Baptist, where I went as a kid <laughs> is we would get in a circle. Do you guys circle up for this? Do you do this? you ever Father Abraham? Do you Abraham know what did?
2: we're talking about? Do I currently do this? No. no, no, no do you currently. know the song, though? You should, though.
0: Father I, Abraham. Yeah. Okay. But you've never sang this in a round with people? You're before? saying your
2: teens don't do this now? <laughs> no. They're too worried about thumbnails. <laughs> what are you teaching them? Yeah.
1: Right.
0: Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, we're teaching thumbnails. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
3: right.
0: No, my,
2: my daughter did this song. My preschool daughter did this song at school not too long ago. Okay. So, yeah, they go through all the old songs. So wow. what we did is we circled up. And we'd all sing this song. And then
0: it was almost like a hokey pokey yeah. type of thing where you'd, right. you'd, you know, Father Abraham, many sons, many sons of Father Abraham, I'm one of them, are you, so let's just praise the Lord. Yeah. And then they'd yell out a body part, like a right arm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you throw your right arm into the circle. And <clears throat> it was maybe the third or fourth time we had done this at youth group where I realized, I think this is a song that was written just to burn up time <laughs> for a an youth energy pastor. Yeah. An energy for a youth pastor that wasn't prepared for the, like the message. <laughs> Cause we spent like 10 minutes sometimes doing this and I'm like, I'm exhausted here. Or Maybe it's
2: when the preacher goes long and the, all the oh, parents are, maybe they haven't are, come and picked up their kids. That's true. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That could be it as well. So you sang the song.
2: I did. And Doggone I, it. I was actually so bummed. You know, I can I get forgot. that footage. Well, it was, it, I mean, first service went out. Yeah, well, I, I think it was, it's deleted already. Um only the live stream. It was on there, yeah. And wow. then, I don't know, I forgot. I forgot third service, Did too. Did
0: anyone like it?
2: I don't know. Like about half the crowd <laughs> knew what I was doing. You didn't get an encore. That's what I was wondering. Well, like, some people, yeah, some people yeah, c- commented on it because it, it brought back memories. It was nostalgic. and So a lot of our congregation is former former Catholic.
0: And so yeah. I'm wondering if that song busted in has busted into the Catholic Church at all. So oh, I have no idea. Do they in? sing
2: songs as kids in the Catholic Church?
0: Uh, well, I'm thinking of kids, like if they
2: have a youth. Thing. Yeah, I don't know. I yeah, I couldn't even tell you what, I don't know. What does the Catholic Church do for youth group? <laughs> it's just catechism. <laughs> I mean, yeah, confirmation and catechism. Yeah. Um, I don't know. <laughs> so you're singing this, and about half the crowd is
0: validating you. Yeah. And you think subconsciously that... Shot the confidence down and prevented
2: you from doing it second service, or you just I don't Mm -hmm. think so. I was, did you do a third service? I was bummed. I forgot to be honest. No, I forgot third, too. Did you okay? It it was in my notes. Seems like God didn't want you to do it. I think, I I guess not because it was right (laughs) after. I mean, it was part and parcel with me making the point about women being called sons. Ah, and because that song calls everybody a son, right? And I was making the point you should be encouraged at the fact that you're called a son. Right. Son is, yeah. And yeah, son is a good thing. Yeah. Um,
0: And not gender specific is, is it's being
2: used. Right. Right. More as an inheritance. Like the men being called the bride of Christ. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And so, and then that's where it was in my notes. And I just, I probably was too busy trying to read the room. Right. Trying to see how they're accepting the gender thing. (laughs) Right. I just forgot. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I really don't know. Maybe it simply was, yeah, God didn't want me doing the next two services. It might it might just been that bad. (laughs) God was like, Well, we tried it. It failed. Right. (laughs) Let's move on. Right. People are going before the Lord. They're like, Listen, he's dying out there.
0: he's dying. He's singing this song. Nobody likes it. No, like, yeah, I. Help there him.
2: were people singing along by the time I got, I only sang, like, two stanzas, but um Yeah, no, know your audience. There were people singing along by Stick the end of
0: it. Bon Jovi, Journey. <laughs> like, this is what our people wanted. <laughs> so, yeah. So why don't you re, uh, recap Sunday? You
2: started on Yeah, uh, so we started talking about Abraham, and yeah. Um it was really more of an introduction to Abraham. Mm-hmm. Like, I kind of, um, like, I, I had, <laughs> I cut, like, it was basically, I cut half the sermon. It was
0: nearly none of what you and I had talked about.
2: Um, um, so when I wrote it, I wrote my introduction. Yeah. And then that's what I gave on Sunday. Gotcha. Like, I've got two more sermons out of what was prepped and what I'd hoped to get to. But when I started rehearsing it and going through, I was like, I could cut a song. But even then, it won't be enough time. And then, so I just, I I cut it earlier, I guess. I f- well, I fit it to the time allotted. So you Star Wars, the sermon. Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, if you go down dead. this week, I'm set for Sunday. So <laughs> <laughs> don't worry about that. Is
0: that a threat? I feel like that was... A, <laughs> when you, you go, go down. down. If you go down this week. <laughs> when you go down. <laughs> That's right. Mark keeps trying to... He's like, can I get you a beverage? I'm like, no, I'm fine. Yeah. Trying to. <laughs> keeps, Chad, drink this first.
2: <laughs> so it was bear me. It was really more of an introduction to Abraham and how we, should, how we should receive him. What do we do with him? Yeah. Because he... He is like he was the guy before Jesus. It was Abraham, yeah. And so a lot of the New Testament actually deals with that issue. What do we do with the law, and what do we do with Abraham? Um, and so really, it was more setting up how we should receive Abraham, and we are part of the inheritors of of the covenants, blessings of the promises. And that's what faith is. It's confidence in God's promises. The promises given to Abraham. I mean, that was yeah. We've been grafted in. Yeah, yeah. that was a monumental event in, in Genesis after Noah, after Babel, we hear, we have silence from God. And then suddenly he just goes and gets Abraham. And so processing through that, what that meant for Abraham, but ultimately what it means for us, um, is, is just so helpful for me. Um, cause there, there's other scriptures, you know, where, uh, it says what happened to Abraham wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was for us as well. Yeah. It was for our benefit as well. And so it's understanding that, um, we are inheritors of those promises that were given to Abraham, um, and they haven't been fulfilled yet, but they will be fulfilled. They started in partial fulfillment when Christ came Mm -hmm. and they will ultimately be fulfilled in the next age. And so the, the Jews of Jesus' day were hanging on and clinging to Abraham and that's where their faith was. And it wasn't faith at all. It was just, we're good because of our social status, really our ethnicity, um,
0: I love that you highlighted that verse on Sunday, you know, before Abraham was, I am. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. Because <clears throat> it's such a, and it's interesting in the text, like at least in my my version, the ESV version, like I am isn't capitalized like you would see mm-hmm. um, in the Old Testament where it's in all caps. Right. And, um, in, in, you know, I don't know if that's an issue with, um, you know, the translators or how it's, how it's written specifically. But he, he, Jesus doesn't say before Abraham was, I was. Yeah. He says, I am. <laughs> yeah. And so you have to take the the same weight of that phrase I am. Yeah. You know, thinking about Moses in the burning bush and mm-hmm. you know, who, who am I supposed to say sent me? That's where all that comes from. Um and I and I love that you brought that that up.
2: Yeah. And that was that was Jesus. Cause people will say Jesus never claimed to be God. That that's one example right, of, right, right. Of, of over half a dozen where he explicitly claims to be God. Right. And you see that in the response. They went to stone him. They started picking (laughs) up stones to kill him. Right. Because it was blasphemy.
0: These, as you keep reading, I think, what is the,
2: the ESV version says, Jesus hid himself. Hid himself, yeah. Right. I always
0: wonder what that.
2: How supernatural that was. uh, Right. How
0: supernatural that was. Like, what did, how did he, or was he just like ducking behind a you know right <laughs> a pole or something right. but then you see him passing through crowds and people couldn't yeah. see him like I, so, be-
2: I believe that is supernatural i believe it is too i believe that was miraculous yeah um i don't know exactly how but especially in in john invisibility cloak where he passes through the crowd yeah yeah right right that one in John. yeah is, something there's something supernatural going on there.
0: right something we're not
2: capable <laughs> again of where doing. they the crowd wanted to kill jesus <laughs>
0: right yeah um Well, thank you guys for, again, for doing that this week. Like I I said, we're going to talk about Abraham and Isaac, uh, Mother's Day. And um, we're also going to do some child dedications as well. So should be a good sign. (laughs) Dedicating
2: (laughs) children and then sacrificing them. Yeah, Yeah. Can't wait for the thumbnail (laughs) on
1: that (laughs) video.
0: (laughs) So Jared and I did do a, a shoot. We did a photo shoot. We used some of the leftover pieces from the pig. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> for the sacrifice. <laughs> now, we're going to talk about in just a little preview, we're going to talk about, you know, what Hebrews 11 talks about <clears throat> is that Abraham knew that God could bring Isaac back. Yeah. And almost assuredly knew that he he would, would have to because of all the promises that were going to come through Isaac. Yeah. And so people will discount mm-hmm. what Abraham had to do and they'll say well, it really wasn't that it really wasn't him stepping out in faith if he knew God was going to bring him back, and I think that's a, a really bad way to view it, Yeah, and so we're going to talk about uh, potentially what God was really asking Abraham to do, and in some ways, almost the graphic nature of, of what it is, and so we're going to keep it PG on Sunday, we do want to honor our mothers, but at the same time, what better Sunday to talk about the idea of having to sacrifice your child than on a day yeah. where you're focused as a parent on your children. And part of what I'll talk about on Sunday as well is that I don't think that just, you know, cause there are people out there that do not have kids. I don't think that if you don't have kids, you can't understand this story or feel the same way that a parent does. And I'll kind of get into that on Sunday as well. So looking forward to doing that, but let's go ahead and let's get into our questions today. We've got a fair amount of ground to cover. We'll start with question <clears throat> number one. Good morning. I was married for 20 years. For the past eight years, my fiance and I live together. My question is Does God require older couples to marry before intimacy? I think a lot of our listeners, probably hearing this, might be thinking that a a question like this would be a, a very short answer. And I think it can be. A very short answer but we're not about short answers here not here on the atrium we are about long answers and thumbnails (laughs) recently (laughs) thumbnails (laughs) more recently (laughs) thumbnails and i think it's possible that some of our listeners might be thinking a question like this is like maybe the answer is an obvious answer but i think that they would also be surprised that this is a question i fielded more than once when counseling older couples yeah, previous uh, couples that were previously married and either divorced for X, Y, Z reason and have since gotten a, f- a fiance or a boyfriend or a girlfriend, whatever it is, or uh, people who have lost their their spouse. And I have gotten many emails over the years and had many a conversation with people who are and <clears throat> I want to Older couples, I don't, I don't know how we can define that. I'm just going to share what my experience has been, has been people north of 65. That's that's the demographic that I have dealt with mostly. I don't know necessarily how old this individual is. Um, I've had it maybe as young as like mid mid 50s, but when they're saying, my question is, does God require older couples to marry before intimacy? That's a very subjective term you know, yeah. to, to Chad, I am older. Uh, you know, to me, Bob is older. It, it's all kind yeah. of subjective. So what what do they mean by older? So I don't know yeah. how old this individual is. My experience of people that have been asking this question has been maybe as young as like mid fifties, but it's typically people in their like mid sixties that are, you know, either a, a widow or a widower or have, you know, been divorced for a certain number of years and they want to know what's the rule on intimacy. And so does God require older couples to marry before intimacy? The answer is yes. Yes. Sin is sin. Sin is sin and it is always sin. You don't age out of sin. Yeah. You cannot age out of sin. You will see certain sins become less tempting to you as you age because of the natural progression yeah. of life and experience and hopefully uh, the spiritual progression of sanctification becoming more like christ but you never age out of sin Uh, sexual sin is always sexual sin it doesn't matter if you're uh, eight years old and i use eight years old because that's the uh, average age that kids are start viewing pornography now eight years old all the way up to 100 years old if you can make it to 100 years old Mm -hmm. sexual sin is always a sexual sin so I want to take uh, a time and just talk a little bit about this because what normally happens, uh, what can't happen, I shouldn't say normally, what, what can happen in, in a conversation like this in conversations I've had like this with people in the past is people will say things, well, but where does it say that sex outside of marriage is sinful? Because the Bible doesn't come right out and say thou shalt not have sex before Marriage, not in that way, not in the way that we see the Ten Commandments, not in the same way that we see even adultery, right? And so, I want to I want to take us to a couple of different places and just piece this together for us because the Bible certainly does uh, teach that uh, sex outside of marriage, before marriage, outside of marriage, we'll call it fornication, is yeah something that the Lord. Yeah, I
2: mean, the church has been teaching that for thousands of years, so where does it come from? Right. If it doesn't say it explicitly, why do why do we think that and teach that?
0: Right. And so I just want to highlight a few, and then, you know, you guys are welcome to highlight whatever you want as well. One of the places I want to go uh, is Ephesians chapter 5. We'll start uh, in verse 1 here. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering sacrificed to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Now, that is the English Standard Version. What some of us might be more familiar with is there must be not even a hint, excuse me, of sexual immorality in all impurity. And I want to look at this word sexual immorality. It's the Greek word pornea. And what you'll see is that this word is often... Translated one or two ways. It's, it's it's translated one or two ways. Either sexual immorality or fornication. Sexual immorality is any sex outside of God's mirror. Fornication being a part of that. Again, uh, this is pretty clear, even a hint of sexual immorality or impurity. And we have to remember, you go all the way back to Genesis, when God created Adam, saw no suitable helper was made or was... A, a, He made no suitable helper for him or had no suitable helper, so God pulls the rib out of Adam, creates Eve. This is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. For this reason, the man shall leave his father and mother. You can go back to Genesis chapter 2 and read all that on your own if you're listening to this. But God designed uh, intimacy for that union between a man and a woman in the bonds of marriage. And that's what we see all throughout um, the New Testament being taught. A lot of people... We'll go back and ask questions about the Old Testament because you see a lot more polygamy, yeah, in the Old Testament. Even Abraham, right? Yeah. You know, you didn't get into it. I'm not going to get too much into it on Sunday, um, but Abraham and Sarah couldn't have a couldn't have a kid. They wanted a kid, so they get the maidservant, Hagar, Abraham's intimate with her. People say, well, God reveres Abraham as a pillar of the faith, but he's going having, why was God okay with it? God's never been okay with it, right? He's never been okay with it. It's always been a perversion of his original design, but we know that God uh, allows sin in our life for multiple reasons. He allows sin to be uh, a, a part of earth it's part of the curse uh, that that we experience so god allowing something and god endorsing something are two different two different things but there's not to be even a hint of sexual immorality in our in our lives and that's that's a really challenging thing to do we've talked a lot on the podcast i've talked you know uh, from the pulpit about sexual immorality we've kind of hit this uh, head on certainly but the Bible teaches uh, as a whole, particularly you see a lot in the New Testament, that that bond of marriage or, or intimacy, that gift that God has given us of intimacy, is a picture, and we've talked about this on the podcast, of the intimacy that Christ has with the bride. Uh, it, that intimacy, uh, that intimate relationship, something you only get, we only give ourselves to Christ. Christ gave himself to us you know in a sense we haven't become one flesh with christ but the spirit dwells in us so it's he he becomes a, a part of us us in him and him in us and so there's an intimacy there and we have to remember that sex is a picture uh, for us along with procreation and along with pleasure like we've talked about on the podcast it is a picture of christ's relationship with the church and the unique intimacy that we should have in our relationship with christ and so when we do that outside of uh The relationship of a bride and a groom—we are perverting what God has designed, and so, you know, this couple has been together for uh, eight years. It looks like they've lived together, and so they're living as a husband and wife would live. They're likely being intimate with one another as a husband and wife, and only husband and wife should be. Uh, The information on the front of this—I was married for twenty years. that might be an indi- indication as to why they after eight years of relationship, there is no marriage. Now I'm presupposing a lot of stuff here, but again, yeah. <clears throat> I've, I've done a lot of counseling over the years. And if you were in a marriage for 20 years, if that spouse passed, you know, they might feel a certain way about marriage. If it was a, a, a marriage that ended in divorce, they're going to feel a certain way about marriage. And so sometimes our past experience, and certainly I shouldn't say sometimes it always colors our view of everything in life, particularly, you know, that the bond of marriage. <clears throat> I was married for 20 years. There's no explanation here. A lot of times, if, if it were a person whose spouse had passed, they would say, but my, you know, uh, husband or wife died, whatever it winds up being. So again, we're, we're having to assume a lot of things here. Maybe that's yeah. why the hesitation is there for marriage. Um, but sexual morality, all impurity. Um, uh, we can't even have a hint of it in our lives. <clears throat> Hebrews 13, four talks about the marriage bed, uh, being kept here. We'll just shoot over to Hebrews since we're in a Hebrew series now. Anyways, I want to be careful uh, with this one because this isn't, a. I wouldn't say it's an exact fit, but I think it gives us the idea of how God <clears throat> views the marriage bed. And I want to make a suggestion, perhaps. Um, so, uh, Hebrews chapter 13. Starts off, let brotherly love uh, continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Someone asked a question about that. We'd like to get into that. (laughs) Remember those who are in prison as though uh, in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. This verse is an exact fit. But I want to get into in a second. This let marriage be held in honor among all. There were some that believed that celibacy was the only way to honor God, that you needed to abstain from uh, being married, even though Paul makes it clear, like, I, yeah, I wish you guys were single like I was, but get married because you're going to burn with lust, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We've covered all this on previous podcasts as well. But this idea of let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Interesting there that sexually immoral— and adulterous. <clears throat> Keeping the marriage bed pure and undefiled, I think a lot of it would view this verse and say, well, he's speaking specifically just about adultery, going outside of the marriage. But I believe that it's beyond that. I think the purity of a marriage bed is can also be determined by what you bring to that marriage bed prior to your marriage. Like if you are an impure person sexually and you, you are... Uh, fornicating with your spouse and then you get married that that marriage bed has already been defiled not that God can't redeem it and forgive from those things but it is I think a warning to us that we need to make sure that we are not having a hint of sexual immorality that we're waiting and saving sex as something to be experienced only between a husband and a wife a man and a woman in the bonds of marriage so God will judge as sexually immoral and adulterous sexually immoral there it's that word porne again you might be able to insert fornicator there. I think you could do that because again, what we bring to the bed in most couples, even then, <clears throat> and it was a little bit different in you know certainly in the Old Testament where you had you know pre-range marriages and certain things that had to happen, but even by the time the New Testament comes around, there's a lot about sexual immorality because there's a lot of sex taking place outside of marriage. Um, and think about, and we're not going to get personal with you guys. I'll just admit myself that Rachel and I were intimate with one another before we got before we got married. And then once we got back in church we were like, oh yeah, we're not supposed to do that and so we abstained <clears throat> from being intimate with one another until we got married and it was it was different. After we got married it was there was no guilt. There was always guilt afterwards. Um and so the majority of us when we find that special person a boyfriend or a girlfriend, you know, when we get to the level of fiance, we're testing we're testing those those waters out temptation is a real a real thing and so we are intimate and so to help keep that marriage bed pure i think that starts long before you're you're married how you view uh sex in your dating relationship is going to be some of the same views that you carry over to your marriage there's no way not to do those things and so i'll stop there i've got some more verses here but i want to give you guys um, a chance to to talk. So the answer, again, overall, my question is, does God require older couples to marry before intimacy? The answer is yes. You do not age out of sin. Uh, Any sex outside of marriage between a man and a woman is sexual immorality, perneo, fornication. Uh, We need to keep the marriage bed pure. That starts before marriage, and there's not to be a hint of sexual immorality in our lives.
1: Yeah, I wonder eight years later if somebody's uh if they're feeling kind of guilty Me, yeah. all of a sudden right, you yeah. know and asking this question to us so we don't get a ton of the story with these two individuals um we get a quick email question here but i can imagine it would be very uh tempting just after 8 years go like we've already been living together um, and just trying to find the way to justify, is this fine? Can we just continue on? It's, it's going to be easier to just continue doing what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Perhaps it's even easier financially. And we're older, you know, perhaps the other person was divorced too. We don't want to go through all the hoops and right have a wedding and do all the steps that, that are expected of us. and And I can also imagine, you know, we don't really hear a lot of ministry to the 48 to 100-year-olds on this. Right? The ministry for this is always directed to the 8-year-old to 18-year-old. Right, yeah. So to go, that's when this was talked about, was back when I was 18. Does it matter now <laughs> right. that I'm 65 or whatever the case may be? <clears throat> so I can imagine where they're at, but, but yeah, I don't have a lot to add because you brought up some great scripture there. Um, but I, I just want to empathize and kind of uh, say I, I, I'm trying to understand this person's predicament um, and why that might be the case for them questioning this. Um, in a different city at a different time, I uh, lived in an apartment where I believe the woman that was my neighbor was about 70 years old, and she knew I was a pastor at the church there. And she came to me and asked, is it okay if me and this, it was an older gentleman. And they somehow both, they were divorced or maybe one of them lost their 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 partner <coughs> in the past. Um, long story short, they had a similar situation, but but different question. She wasn't intimate with this person that was just companionship yeah we lost our significant others and we found a great friendship together and now we can split the cost of this apartment is it okay if we live in this place together Mm. at seven years old but we're not we're not having sex we're not you know we're just we're friends but we are uh i guess more than that because of our love for each other and i was stumped (laughs) as a pastor there you know what do you think now I'm still like I don't know. I didn't know what to say then. I don't know what to say. I I yeah. did tell her like, listen, I, I I I'll tell you the same thing that I'll tell an 18 year old. I don't think you should do it this way. I think yeah. that you should take the steps to be married if if that's the case. And and if a, a night ever arises where you do want to be intimate together, then that's already taken care of. Yeah. And you don't have to have that guilt. Right. Like you were talking about earlier. So, but you know, it was really tough because, I mean. I don't have that experience. I don't, I don't know what that's like yet to be seven years old. I don't know what that drive is like and it's different for everybody, but sure. Yeah. I couldn't put my, my mind into that, that case for them. It's tough to have a frame of reference for that. Yeah, I don't know. What do you think? Would you say the same thing? I would advise no. Yeah, yeah I would just say, advise no. Yeah,
0: I would say I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. And you know, We're not having sex. Well, what you're not doing isn't what you could do. <clears throat> right, right. And we don't put ourselves—we make no provision for sin. Yeah. We, we don't put ourselves in a position where we can sin more easily. I would never advise someone struggling with alcoholism to go get a job at a bar. Or, you know, somebody that's struggling with <clears throat> lust to go get a job, perhaps at a, I'll even say a gym, <laughs> right? Um, because of, you know, what you can see at a, at a gym sometimes. And so um, something that's really, you know, steeped in those areas. Now, we have to be careful with that because we can't live on, you know, we have to be in the world. But there is a difference between the the intimacy and the emotional intimacy mm-hmm. um, can be far <laughs> this is almost redundant the 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 emotional connection let me say can be far more intimate than physical connection it can lead to that very easily mm-hmm. um you know at 70 years old there's a certain amount of virility that's gone you know hormones have tanks and all those sorts of things right. but i know plenty of 70 year olds that uh it is not the case sure. and so yeah i would i would advise you know somebody not to not to do that we you know there is the appearance of evil as well i don't think necessarily that a lot of people are <clears throat> going out viewing people in that demographic you know going wow they are wildly promiscuous yeah Although there's some interesting data out there about promiscuity <laughs> in that demographic oh, sure. because it seems consequence free. Yeah. They're not necessarily as, um, and I, I can't cite the resources off the top of my head, uh, but there is some um, research out there that shows that they don't have, uh, there's no fear of pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not as afraid of disease mm-hmm. because they're near the, you know, the end of, of life, life expectancy is 80 yeah. in, in this country. And if you're 70, then you've got 10 years left and you can live 10 years with, you know, an ST or whatever winds up being. And so there's some promiscuity, um, they've lost spouses, you know, they're retired. So they've got time. Uh, a lot of times they've got, you know, um, depending on you know, obviously demographic, you know, uh, more time, more money. <clears throat> so yeah, it doesn't, again, sin is sin age doesn't matter but yeah i i would now if i you were 18 when they asked you that you said you were in an apartment
1: no i was in my earlier 20s oh, earlier i was still 20, yeah. i was still a youth pastor okay but it threw me for a loop because yeah. i i was full time I,
0: I wouldn't have been able to answer that
1: yeah full-time either. in youth ministry and yeah. and i'm like oh man this is a challenging one because yeah. i would be urgent with a Eighteen-year-old, well, thinking that's the thing, about though. this, but a seven-year-old is completely different. But it, it's it, not, right? It is, <laughs> and it isn't, right? You don't,
0: you don't age out. You don't age out of temptation, right. either. Right. Like, um, I would never, you know, advise a, an eighteen-year-old w- to do that. I wouldn't advise a seven-year-old to do that because it's you're, at the end of the day, yeah, some hormones have changed, but you're going to put yourself in that type of position. Yeah. So, um, Mark, what do you think? Yeah.
2: Well, um, I'll take. A little bit of what you guys have said. There's one thing I've thought of, and I've talked to a few people in this in this situation. Situation similar to this. We don't know exactly what's going on here, so what I'm even saying might not apply at all. Right. <laughs> but I want to just focus on. It says my fiance and I live together, so they are engaged.
1: <laughs> Long the, engagement.
2: <laughs> the intent to be married. I don't know if they've been engaged the whole eight years. Yeah, but true. they. Um, oh, that's true. But anyway, they're 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 engaged. So <laughs> marriage has been talked about. Um, I want the focus just to be on what marriage is. What what's the goal, um, and who owns marriage? So marriage is instituted by God, and it represents Christ and his union with the church. Neil's already, already said that. And we've forgotten that in this society. We believe marriage is an institution of the state, mm. and the state has co-opted marriage, and we think that's what marriage is. We're really God-founded marriage, and now the state has co-opted it. So when we get in this situation formerly married i don't know if they got divorced i don't know if or i don't know if her husband passed it doesn't say either way you get to that point on the other side of your first second marriage it gets complicated yeah there's retirements involved there's alimony maybe child support there's sharing rent uh, costs involved insurances health insurance all kinds of things medicare it all pl- starts to play a part and your marriage status starts mm-hmm. to change that that's a good point what you can get mm-hmm. from your from this benefit or that benefit or whether you have a right to this or that or or the other and these things start weighing on you and factoring into your decision mm. and that's where your focus lies and you say well i'm not going to get married but because of this or that because you know i won't keep getting this alimony payment I won't keep getting this health insurance benefit or I have to wait till I'm 65. I've heard that before for uh, whatever Medicare uh, benefit to, to to kick in And at that point at that point you're putting the cart before the horse and you're you're really seceding to the state and saying that's your view of marriage. It's no longer me trying to represent Christ um, Christ's union with the church. it's mm. it's me doing what I want to do. Mm-hmm. um it's good mark and does god require older couples to marry before intimacy let me give the short answer yes yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah it's too late for the short answer oh, okay <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah let me read out uh, one
0: more um scripture and then we can get on to the next question here um
1: can i just follow up what it says in hebrews 13 yeah, i guess is it good It is what, what Mark just said, verse five, keep your life free from the love of money. Be satisfied Mm. with what you have for he himself has said, I will never leave you or abandon you. Yeah. So I was reading that after you brought up (laughs) Hebrews 13. And And like, I I don't know if it applies
2: to this situation. I'm not trying to read that into it. I'm just, that's my experience in some of these situations. By the way, that's
0: going to be helpful for somebody. I mean, that's a really good point. Yeah. Yeah. And, so,
2: and, and and to that point quickly I'll just say no, you know people ask should we be married in the church yes you should be married in the church you can be married by justice peace, that's fine I'm not I'm not saying that's wrong but but the the state does not own marriage the The mar- marriage is a church institution is a God institution it is you coming before God to make a covenant to another person that represents something greater than yourself yeah. um, anyway that's a rant for another day <laughs>
0: So first Thessalonians uh, chapter four, uh, I'll start from verse one. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and please God. We talked about this idea of pleasing God, right? Enoch walked with God. It was pleasing to the Lord. And so we get some more of that language, how you ought to walk and to please God. And remember with Enoch, we talked about uh, pleasing God uh, was pleasing. Uh, not making God happy but you know basically doing the things that you know God wants you to do just as you are doing that you do more and more for you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus Christ and then listen to this for this is the will of God everyone wants to know what God's will is for their life and there's this is one of them one of the one of the things that God wills in your life or, or wants you to do your sanctification that you abstain from sexual immorality that each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because this, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. So this idea of controlling your own body, this idea that God's will for you is that you abstain from sexual immorality, sex outside of marriage, uh, that you control his own body, in holiness that idea of being separate from the world the world says cohabitation is a great idea right you know we go to COVID kind of I think killed this I don't know if it's a thing now Uh, when I was a kid it was very normal to go to the grocery store on a Saturday and basically eat lunch there from the samples Right. You'd go and someone would be selling either like, Hey, do you want to try this bacon? You try the bacon. <clears throat> Grocery stores used to hand out samples of stuff all the time. And that was so that you could figure out if you want to buy it. Do you want to invest in this pack of bacon? Well, let me taste it first. Let me let me see, you know, what it's like. Let me look at it. Let me assign a value to it based on flavor. And that's what relationships have turned into. You know, let's live together. Let's test this out. Let's see how it goes. Let's see how you do. You know, are you a clean person or are you not? And you know, if I'm going to only have sex with somebody, the same person for the rest of my life, you know, I want to make sure that that's you know pleasing to me as well. And so we we have cons- basically consumer consumerized is that a word? <laughs> we've <clears throat> marriage and, and we've made it about consumption. And whether or not that consumption is pleasing to me, and then I'll make the investment in marriage, and that's just not how it how it works. Part of faith, and we have defined faith in Hebrews um, as a a non you know uh, comprehensive, I would say definition of that, but but part of faith in a marriage is stepping out, knowing that the Lord can satisfy you in those those areas. Sexually, financially, like you give it all to him and you trust, you know, having confidence in the promises of our Lord. That's how we define faith in Hebrews. And so part of stepping out in faith when it comes to this institution is not trying everything. It's not going, oh, yeah, the the sex is great and we can live together. And, you know, he puts his socks away and, you know, she she, you know, whatever it is, puts makeup on at night still, whatever, whatever your standard is we figured it all out. So where is the faith in, in a yeah. marriage? And so I think that you know, part of God's will for us, certainly I don't think this is what it says, that we abstain from sexual immorality, that we separate ourselves from what the world wants to do and how the world views it. We don't go out there and we don't sample everything. We don't try everything. We do what the Bible says, and then we trust in the, com- we have confidence in the promises of God, and we trust in what God says. It's part of what we're gonna talk about this Sunday with Abraham and Isaac, we we trust God to the point of action, and whether that action is abstaining, which it is in First yeah. uh, Thessalonians four, or the action is is moving forward and doing something like let's not just you know propose that we get married, let's actually get married and just trust that God's going to satisfy all these other things. Mm. God's big enough to work out insurance, He's big enough to work out alimony, He's big enough to work out all of these things. <clears throat> we we never don't do what's right because of like you said because it's what the state says or because we think that we're not going to be able to do it god comes first obedience to his word comes first and then seek first his kingdom and all these things yeah. Again, I don't want to use that out of context, but seek first mm-hmm. his kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things that you've been added unto you. And in and it's not too far out of context. It's not out of context, it's, I don't it's, think it's not too far. No. <laughs> because it's telling you don't things worry you about need, your yeah. life, things you need. Don't worry about yeah. your body. Don't worry about any of this stuff. But seek me first, and all these things will be added to you, uh, added unto you as he sees, as he sees fit. But thank you for this question. I think that this was um there's a certain level of vulnerability in this question. Uh, can I
2: say one more thing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was hoping you would. I was just thinking. I'm reading this and thinking one more. And again, cause it's just so vague. We don't know where it's coming from. And I don't want to say this is the angle, but yeah. if this is the angle, if it's possible that I'm reading this and they they have this feeling like, well, I was married for 20 years. It didn't work out. It was a mess. Yeah, I failed. God put us up to put me up to a standard. He said this is how it should be. It wasn't that at all. It was a mess. I failed. It's over. And God's like, okay, you tried. Right. and now he's done with you, You're or he doesn't like care them. about yeah. you, or <laughs> you feel like a failure. God is a God of redemption. He wants to redeem you, and he will redeem you, but he's not holding you to a, a, a new set of standards. He still wants your same sanctification that he wants from everyone else. He still wants that marriage bed to be pure, um, and and don't hang on to that feeling of failure because that will keep you from, from the redemption, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, God loves you, and He still wants the best for you, and that hasn't changed just because you are older, just because you are divorced, or I don't know if you are divorced. Just <laughs> right. anyway,
0: no, mm-hmm. no, that was good. Yeah, That was great, Chadwick. I am just gonna stop there. All right, <laughs> I am gonna go Christopher Walken, Chad. <laughs> what's your shirt say? I haven't been able because of the wrinkles. I haven't been able. To, not that it's not unironed Okay, no, they will know we are Christians by our T-shirts.
1: <laughs> ah. <laughs> This is,
0: this, that's sassy too. I yeah. like your sass.
1: I like my sassy tweets, my sassy shirts. Is that custom? Custom This made? is not custom. Yeah, I got it from a vintage uh, pop-up uh, two Sundays ago.
2: Vintage pop-up.
1: Yeah.
0: What's that mean? <laughs> so many
1: words we don't understand. Yeah. What's, uh, the <laughs> What's the goal of that? What's the goal of that? I'm going to guess. It's okay. a
0: pop-up <laughs> clothing store that sells vintage
1: t-shirts. That's right. Okay. So anyway, yeah, it's really cool. How do you hear about these? My wife's in the startup culture and works in the city and, you yeah. know, works with a lot of small businesses that, um, some, some of them are vintage clothing stores. Is it like so a, she hears about them. Like at a,
0: like a, a market, like a flea market or something like that? Or is it, uh, I can't stop it, picturing
2: a food truck.
1: It, it was, it was, well, there, there was a coffee truck right outside okay. the venue. Yeah. Okay. That I whole picture thing. picture a
2: right? mall kiosk. Is it like a mall kiosk on the street?
1: No, no, no. This one was inside the Madison, um, just near downtown Cleveland. It is, uh. A pretty popular wedding venue right now. Um, I'm sure David Swidrack has taken photos in there for engagements and, mm. and weddings. Um, but they invited a bunch of um, local vintage clothing kind of hipster guys who own these things um, to bring all their stuff, and they did a pop up shop and a bunch of different ones. I got to meet them and
0: so vintage is anything over twenty years. Is that twenty five? Twenty five vintage. So that's yeah. a, a twenty five year old.
1: I'm guessing if yeah. they're if they're correct, yeah. Wow, it's great. Yeah, so I thought this was funny. What well, is funny? <laughs> Vintage 1998. I took a
0: picture of a uh, individual wearing a, a, one of the angriest shirts I've ever seen um, at Cedar Point last year, and it was uh, it was like a church group, and the shirts were just and I don't, don't remember specifically, and I'm not going to get into it necessarily, but it was just a shirt just a uh, condemning. All of these, you know, ideologies and all these, it was so aggressive. Yeah. And there were like 40 people wearing them in line and, <laughs> and they're all laughing and smiling and eating That's french fries part. and cotton candy. And they're—and like this shirt smiling. is a shot at all of them. And I'm like, the fun they're having is not represented by the anger of their shirts in any way, shape, or form. Like, it was great.
1: Wow. But, We've I've got some stories, then, based on what you've just brought up between Cedar Point yeah. and my shirt. So I went to the Lecrae concert with students on Sunday. That's right. You did the wave, I heard. Yeah, so that has a lot to do with this story. So, uh, you know, looking at the crowd and a lot of Christianese t-shirts, Yeah. I was pushed to say, I'm going to wear this t-shirt on the podcast on <laughs> Tuesday. <laughs> I got you. I was like, man, we just can't be wearing t-shirts and going... It's like it's like saying I'm a son of Abraham. Look, I, I got the T-shirt. <laughs> I follow ah. God. I'm in. Like, just can we just live it? There's got to be some action. It's not your T-shirt. Yeah. So, so you're
2: against T-shirts that have any Christian speak on them.
1: Speak. Yes. Yes. Um, in fact, there's a, the worship pastor at uh, that church, Grace in Middleburg Heights. He owns a a really nice clothing company called um, uh, Messianic Supply Co. And Lecrae was wearing a shirt when he came out on stage, but it, it doesn't have like bold text. I'm a Christian. Christianese words on it, right? It's very artistic, and and it's a the whole goal of his clothing company is that it would open up conversations with people about the Messiah, without all the words, and it's just telling you exactly what I am, mm. right? It's not the bumper sticker T-shirt. Um, so I really like his clothes, but clothes that just say, "I'm a Christian," or I'm against these things, yeah. <laughs> so I'm an evangelical Christian, just, just kind of goofy. So I got a kick out of seeing some of those uh, shirts at the concert, which you will at a Christian concert, yeah. Um, but I, while we were in line, and I was killing some time with students, I said, "What if we started the wave in this line?" And they're like, "Do it." And I said, "I have a great, great story from Cedar Point years ago, over a decade ago." Um, went with a few friends and one of them was a, a senior, uh, in our high school ministry. And I was in my younger twenties, probably the time, probably close to the time I was living next to the old lady. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's a pivotal time in your life. Pivotal time. Um, uh, we were at the Maverick and, uh, mm-hmm. we were getting up the steps and we were playing this game where you'd guess a number that the, the person was thinking. And if you guessed the number, then you'd have to do a dare that they gave you. So I guessed the number right on dared me to start the wave in the Maverick line. So I get up the steps. There's a porched area right before you get on the coaster. And there's steps up to the coaster. So when we're like halfway up the steps, we've been in line for like two hours. I'm like, all right, I got to do this. I got to start the wave. And it's not a stadium. It's a zigzag. It's going to snake if I do this wave. Yeah, like
0: fancy dominoes.
1: Fancy dominoes. And uh, I get two much larger gentlemen next to me. And I say, hey, I'm very small. I'm going to yell out. (laughs) I love that nobody's Zac- gonna
0: see me. I love that you're Zacchaeus in this story. I'm Zacchaeus,
1: <laughs> very good. I'm Zacchaeus in this story, and I'm like, listen, I really need you guys to demonstrate because nobody's gonna see me. <laughs> yeah, but, but they will hear a mousy voice yelling, "We're gonna do the wave." So, so is that how you start a wave? <laughs> so yeah, so I get these guys to demonstrate with me. They're like, "Yeah, we're all in. Let's do this." I start telling people down the steps and say, "Hey, tell the people next to you, and so on and so on, as far as we can get this." Um, people to verbally sign on and so long story short like four times of trying this and getting these tall gentlemen to do this with me we barely get it out of the porched area yeah but i felt like that was pretty good we got it through probably what 50 people and um turned around and i'm like cool that was great guys thank you i did the dare ready to ride the maverick as as i turn around since 50 people have seen this happen they want it to happen again they want to see this how far we can go Wow. I get an encore, unlike Mark's Father Abraham, unfortunately. Mm, Yeah. It's very unfortunate. I would have given you an encore, asked you to do an encore. But anyway, (laughs) people are like, do the wave one more
0: time. That's a lot of pressure to start the wave, I feel like. It is.
1: It is. Have you ever tried to
0: start a wave? What do you think? (laughs)
1: Yes. (laughs) I I couldn't tell you. Have you ever
2: talked to a stranger? I don't know (laughs) if I've ever done the wave. I. Let's do it uh, right boy, now. He's getting all angry. You start.
1: Ready? <laughs> Here
2: we go. Ugh, there's a reason why I haven't done the wave. <laughs> I didn't right. say I'd never that been in the a crowd where the wave of, was done. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that was a sound of pure disgust.
2: <laughs> I didn't say I hadn't These been people, around the wave. I said I'd never done the wave. So it started with disgust. Let me get
0: this straight. Here's what I've learned from today's podcast so far. You are anti-Christian t-shirt. <laughs> yeah. And you are anti-wave. So far. <sighs> I think I am. By
1: the end of this podcast, we're going to get him to do the This wave. is the anti-podcast. Yeah. That's the goal. I think I'm
2: anti-wave. So, yeah, I think you're I'm starting to sweat. <laughs> yeah, I'm good. feeling a rage that I've uh, felt in years. <laughs> yeah. Is it the
0: group participation that frustrates you? Or is it that people are having? It's the fun?
2: obligation. Mm. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's like you're this obligation is being put on you. Like you're right,
0: You have to raise your arms. You're
2: expected to <laughs> to join something you didn't sign up for. Okay. Yeah.
1: Marks, you <laughs> so often talk about unity. Just trying. <laughs> this just is, trying this just is trying just, such just an expression to, of unity.
2: <laughs> I paid to be at that game and enjoy the game, and now you don't want to have to raise your arms. I, yeah. No one. Yeah. This was not yeah. part of the deal. Okay. Oh, it's so fun. So it's more about the
0: the forced participation than it is. The The act of raising your arms up in the air. Yeah. Yeah. Because I've seen you raise Mm -hmm. your arms in the air for. I've done that before. Yeah. For church, for reaching for things
2: like canned soup and whatnot. Things on high shelves. (laughs) High shelves. Yeah. Let's say you're
0: nailing (laughs) something up high. Yeah. I've seen you raise your arms
2: before. But it's the fact
0: that they're like, listen, everybody else is doing this. (laughs) He's just being contrarian. This will be fun. It's, yeah. It's
2: groupthink. Listen,
1: I I get what you're saying. If somebody else started it, I'm not about it. But me starting it, it's great. So, so if I can galvanize like people to do this, your prescription
0: for Mark being anti-wave <laughs> is you've got to start. You've got to start it. That's why. Okay. I, that's Walk why a I mile said Chad shoes. So I said I thought <laughs> maybe you <laughs> had started it. Okay. So you believe if he started it, he would enjoy it. Oh yeah. Well, maybe you should he's make your own Christian to, T-shirt. He's starting
1: to think about it right now. <laughs> maybe if you made your
0: own Christian Speak T-shirts, you would in- enjoy them. Yeah.
1: Sure. Sure. <laughs> No, <laughs> no, uh, that's not the case. That's a different thing. But this is. But the anyway, best.
0: why don't why don't we help somebody?
1: <laughs> we'll, we'll well, I've got to finish. I've only been halfway through the story. Oh
0: my, <laughs> what? Chad, the wave has died. We're, we're the getting wave's not
1: over. We're getting to being huh? at the Lecrae show. Remember? Oh, yeah, okay. Right. I yeah, will yeah. say. Yeah. Remember? Okay. Yeah. So I was telling. Kids I was that wondering story. why you're telling the story because I yeah, did yeah. not have an interesting conclusion. Yeah. <laughs> Talk That's about a, co-opted. So we Kneel did the wave. Here. <laughs> right. All right. All right. <laughs>
0: right. Yeah. The first story ended terribly because it didn't, it didn't work. It didn't seem like. What's that? At Cedar Point.
1: Oh, at Cedar Point. No, no, it worked. It so eventually is, worked. Okay. So the fifth wave is when people were like, okay. hey, we want to do this again one yeah. more time, one more time. And it goes like 200 people. And so I'm walking around Cedar Point the rest of that afternoon, and I'm here, and there was a wave man in the Maverick line. What? <laughs> yeah. So I was a mythological being. <laughs> wave wow. Wave man. For a day. Wave yeah. man. Is that the I have an illustrious title? wave man career.
0: The wave man? So- <laughs> I want you to know what you're doing is you are confirming for Mark that he will never go to a group <laughs> event with you. Ever. Like, you're never going to the Shepherds Conference with him. Don't invite him to Cray.
1: Oh, me and Mark have been at concerts already. We have, actually. <laughs> You He's guys go only, to one of those bands. It was one other, of those bands. Yeah. <laughs> cool. It's
2: the only other pastor I've actually been at the same show as. We went to see comedy together. That's, oh, that's true. There
0: it is. We had the world's closest They didn't seats. do the wave
2: there. Mark and I were wildly late for some reason, I think, because we... We were like the last ones in the room. We weren't late for the show. But not
0: late for the show, but we were the last ones in the yeah. room, and our seat was at the very edge yeah. of the stage.
2: Front and center. Front and center. Yeah.
0: So everybody watched us. <laughs> Oh, and I was trying to get the wave started and Mark Did was you? furious. Yeah. Yes. I was like, this is not my kind of comedy. I didn't sign up for this. All right. So you're at, so Lecrae brings you on the stage. Okay.
1: I wish. I wish. And
0: yeah. he makes you rap
1: about the wave. Could you believe it? Yeah. <laughs> no. So my students are very stubborn and they didn't help me at first, but eventually I cracked them like I will Mark right. and I got them to help me start the wave in the show and it went a pretty good uh, amount throughout the auditorium. Yeah, and people were loving it.
0: That one so, was the ending was good.
1: My eleventh, yeah, my eleventh <laughs> anniversary right. since the Cedar <laughs> Point. Wave man, cut up to that point. <laughs> <laughs> Pick up now,
2: Wave Man. That's what we were.
3: <laughs>
0: Wave Man, what's up, man? All right, let's talk about the Bible.
1: <laughs> let's help some people. Let's rock this one. Oh, my. I trying to. It didn't work. All right. So, hello, pastors. While listening to Chad's sermon last week and hearing how Noah was steadfast in his faith for so long, another verse came to mind. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Matthew 24, 34 through 35. In Revelation 22, you hear Christ through John repeat that the Lord is coming soon. This has always confused me, especially where it said, before this generation passes. Obviously, no one knows when Christ will return, Matthew 24, 26, Mark 13, 32. And eschatology is hotly debated, but the part where they say, before this generation passes, really throws me off. Sometimes I attribute it to a call to action since we are to go and make disciples of the nations. And who would feel rushed if Jesus said, I'm coming only eventually. I'm going to stop there and kind of break this up because this is a long email. And I have another story.
0: <laughs> What's it about?
1: These More editing. Edits. Oh my.
0: <laughs> well, so the third time I, I did the wave. Why don't you read the whole email so that we can have a full context? Yeah. And then and then would you is that alright? Or no, you don't want to
1: do that? Because it goes into Noah, I'll break it up. It's in half. Okay. Or, it's in half in my notes here. Okay. Yeah. So um there's a youth pastor I worked with named Marty and he got out of ministry and had kind of the whole church hurt story. Mm. Um I won't we'll get all into it but he he was our youth pastor and you know really really did a great job at that but some things happened and he got out and he felt like I need to just depart from the faith. He got divorced. It was a really heavy story for him but he came back to visit one time at the church and and he came up to me and brought up this verse where he was questioning Jesus. Like, did he err here? Was he wrong? Did he prophesy? And it just didn't come to fruition. So how can we trust anything Jesus has to say? He was at the same point that that this right. person is. Um, but obviously, she's trying to be faithful and figure this out. He more so came up to me and was like, yeah, well, Jesus said he's going to come back before this generation passes. And that wasn't right. So what do we have? What do we think about that? How can we trust him? Yeah. And I'm like you were the guy I went to to answer the questions. Yeah. <laughs> he was trying to, he actually came back. That's
2: how some people do take this verse. Yeah, they do take right, it. That he right. was wrong, that this was his human nature erroring.
1: And that's where I wanted. that's why I'm breaking it up because <laughs> there's like three sections here sure. almost throughout the email. And that's how a lot of people take this. How can we even trust what he has to say if he didn't come back at that time? It seems like he said, I'm going to come back before all these people die. And he's still not back.
0: Rachel and I were just talking about this like a week ago. She was asking me um about this particular verse and we're doing something it's like bath time with henry and so I, you know we didn't get too heavy into it so i'm glad this question came up yeah. but there's a lot of theories uh, uh more theories than you would think um as to what this could could mean and how people will try to they'll come up with creative ways to make it seem like jesus meant something that he didn't say but you'll you'll fix this
2: chad
1: will <laughs> fix this. Well and if your you friend don't was, mark your well. friend was right. I
2: mean, yeah if, if he was wrong, then we can't trust anything Jesus said. Right, yeah.
1: Yeah, but he had so much hurt that he was coming back to a person he used to disciple and trying to make me question Jesus. So yeah, his motive um, wasn't. So I've had to dive into this quite a bit, right? And and there's a lot going on. I'm actually gonna use the Mark thirteen passage if you guys want to jump there and people listening wanna jump there. Um because there's a lot in here where it seems like Jesus jumps all over the place.
0: So, Mark thirteen is the same account.
1: Maybe yes. people know that. Yeah, and this is it's just Mark's.
2: Uh, it's a parallel account. It's a yes. thank you. Good yes. grief. <laughs> and and <laughs> Mark's uh, version of what happened. And she mentions that she references
1: um, Mark thirteen thirty two where that's yeah. said, right? And so, this is actually known as the apocalyptic discourse. Uh, so, there's apocalyptic language in here, but it starts chapter thirteen, verse one through two. Jesus um, has his disciples come to him. As he was going out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, look, what massive stones, what impressive buildings, speaking of the temple. Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left upon another. All will be thrown down. So we start this discourse, we start this section of scripture with a prophecy. This temple is going to be gone. And now we know that um Jesus going to the cross is the replacement of the temple. The replacement of the temple comes with the cross of Christ as the place for atonement um, and for the place to be secure in God's family. And so we know that's to come. He's talking about that temple is going to be gone. It's going to be destroyed. Speaking of the temple destruction in A.D. 70, and that's going to be Jesus' judgment on Jerusalem there. Um, then it jumps into the rest of the section. Uh, persecution is predicted for uh, those who follow Christ in verse nine through thirteen. At that time, um, around eighty seventy, and then uh, verses fourteen through twenty seven are the apocalyptic. Um, yeah, she even mentions eschatologies, hotly debated. Uh, yeah, there's eschatological um, references here in verses fourteen through twenty seven. So jumps out of the prophecy into um, esch- eschatological literature, apocalyptic literature. When you see the abomination of desolation standing where it should not be, let the reader understand. Then those in Judea must flee to the mountains. A man on the housetop must not come down or go, go in to get anything out of his house. And a man in the field must not go back to get his coat. Woe to pregnant women and nursing mothers in those days. Pray it won't happen in winter. For those will be days of tribulation, the kind that hasn't been from the beginning of creation until now and never will be again. If the Lord had not cut those days short, no one would be saved. But he cut those days short for the sake of the elect whom he chose. Then if anyone tells you, see, here is the Messiah, see there, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will arise and will perform signs and wonders to lead astray. If possible, the elect. And you must watch. I have told you everything in advance. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not shed its light. The stars will be falling from the sky and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man, and that's a throw to Daniel 7, also apocalyptic literature speaking of Christ as Jesus Christ as the Messiah and his salvation. They will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory, he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. And uh, so we see Daniel seven, Daniel nine in there. That's apocalyptic literature again on Christ coming and his salvation. Um, And then verse 28 through 30, uh, he jumps out of that apocalyptic literature into a parable. So, He's not necessarily talking about this generation of disciples and the people that are living right now that I'm talking about. I'm talking about, if this is apocalyptic, he's pointing to the future, a future generation, and this generation, as if Jesus is pointing visually to this generation over here on the timeline, they will not pass before all these things happen. These will be the signs. These will be the, the birth pains before um, the second coming, right? Right. So he's not talking about this generation, I'm going to come back to get you before you all die. He's talking about this generation when it comes, because he even says in verse 28, (laughs) learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its branches become tender and sprouts leaves, you know that the summer is near. In the same way, when you see these things happening, recognize that he is near at the door. Truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words... Will never pass away. So he goes on in verse thirty-two to say, "Now concerning that day or hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father." Um, so he's ta- he's saying, "Listen, we you don't know the time or day that this is coming. I'm not going to tell you, and it's not this generation. He's talking about this generation uh, that will be on the on a future timeline when heaven and earth will pass away." Right. So that's what's happening there. He's talking about that generation, not your generation. And I wanted to jump into the second part, like I said, in a different section, because there was so much there with that apocalyptic language. Right. Well, since I kind of cut it in half, does anybody have anything to jump in and say about those verses?
0: No, I think that's the best way to understand it. Okay, When you not. Not this present generation, right? Meaning the present generation that Jesus is talking to, mm-hmm. but the future generation. Yeah. So, and, and context this is, what, is key. Context is key. And that's why I just wrote down one word on yep. my notes, and it's context. There you go. Jesus is talking about future things, mm-hmm. and he's talking about future generations. the The generation that experiences all the things that he's talking about in the future, that generation will not pass away. That whole generation will not pass away. Mm-hmm. Not his immediate audience that he's talking to and explaining these things to in the, in his version of the present, our version of the, uh, of the past. So yeah, I think pointing is a great way to, you know, saying this, this one in the future and not this one in the, in the present. And when we understand that, that changes, that,
3: that
2: changes everything. Yeah. Cause it, what he's really, he's talking, he's talking about the birth pains. Right. And he's saying, he's really putting a time on the birth pains saying that it will all it will all happen. What he's just described in this chapter will happen within one generation. Right.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I wanted to start from the top when he talks about that temple being destroyed because then he is talking to the next generation after you guys, they're going to experience that judgment that's going to point to the final judgment. So there's that too. That's why it's prophetic because always <laughs> prophetic language in the Bible, from the Old Testament to Jesus in the New Testament there's this um there's th- there's always this sign that points to the final thing that god's going to do right old testament prophets would do something visually in front of israel that would point to something that would come in their judgment one day yeah so that yeah you could also say like that temple falling in ad 70 is pointing to that final judgment so, he's talking about through most of that Section
2: and it's worth saying I think that some people interpret the all of it discourse here to point to just the temple. So mm-hmm. all of these signs, like the the sun turning uh, dark and turning yeah. to blood and all that, they they say that all of this actually refers to the judgment at seventy A.D. when the temple was destroyed. And Jerusalem was destroyed. That was God's judgment. Mm -hmm. That was they. They even say that is Christ. That was Christ coming. Right. Christ came at seventy A.D. Yeah. Power on the clouds. Power and glory. And all. So all of this, when he said soon, this generation, it all applies because it was fulfilled then. Yeah. Um, and that is hard to reconcile with a lot of the rest of Scripture, Um, but there is that interpretation that. And I think it's because of this problem that she's having with this verse. How do I reconcile this generation and how do I reconcile yes. him saying soon in Revelation? Because 70 AD would have been soon mm-hmm. to Jesus' time. Um, but if you look through the description and you mentioned it from Daniel 7 um, and Daniel 9, also all the the language and the, the prophecy that's being referenced, mm-hmm. um, it just you can't. Like, all that's described just didn't happen in 70 AD. Yeah. Uh, right. It just it just has, hasn't happened.
1: <clears throat> well, that's why it's, it's a so— tough, It's a tough sell. It's so telling that he jumps into referencing Daniel 7 and 9, because that's talking about, like I said, Christ full coming to come back for his elect for those who he has saved, those who he has chosen. That language is in there, right? Yeah. And so yeah, it's pointing to the fact that Um, I'm not talking about this generation right now. I'm talking about what's to come, and he goes on to say, you don't know when it's coming. I won't tell you when it's coming. Only the Father knows. Yeah. So he's not talking about this generation right now. I just want to put that all in context for this listener because, like I said, there's a lot going on here. starts with a prophecy about the the temple being destroyed, jumps into apocalyptic literature that mentions Son of Man in Daniel 7 and 9, And then goes into a parable about a fig tree. So we can't take any of this as like literal. That verse is saying, This generation I'm talking to, you guys are going to experience it. Because there's so much um, different literature types that Jesus is going into where you can't take that on its face. It's going to, he's talking about here's what's to come. And I liked it that she brought up Revelation because it is very similar. type of of literature. Yeah.
0: And Jesus does a little bit of jumping around, like you said, but even in Mm -hmm. that lesson of the fig tree, from the fig tree, this is Matthew 24, back to her original text, from the fig tree, learn its lesson. Yeah. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out leaves, you know the summer is near. That's it. Then he goes, so also when you see all these things, what things? All the things I just talked about in the future, see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation, this generation that's going to see all of these things, that haven't happened yet, yeah. so all of it is just very much in the future. And I think when people just look at, you know, these these chunks, and they'll go back to the uh, beginning of the chapter and, and really go th- through, and not saying that's what this listener, I'm sure this listener did that, yeah. but it's it's tough to piece together a little bit. So I think mean, it's just a good lesson we have to remember. You know, what is the context? Who's the audience? We also know that it didn't happen. <laughs> the generation that Jesus was speaking to did pass. Yeah. And none of this stuff happened. So we got to figure out why why is that? Either he was wrong or he meant something other than what we think he meant. And it's pretty easy to get there um when you start looking at it. That's a great yeah. question. Let's tackle the second half of this.
1: Yeah. So where I <sighs> left off is um you know, we wouldn't feel as rushed if Jesus only said I'm coming eventually. He says I'm coming soon. And so she continues on saying the story of Noah was encouraging to me like God is giving us an example of walking in faith for a long time to understand that obedience is important over time, no matter how long it takes to see the fruit. But could you please explain the generation part to me? Because sometimes I'm so confused why God doesn't do as many outwardly obvious things anymore and hasn't for 2,000 years. Of course, there is the verse about those who believe without seeing, being blessed, John 20:29. 20, I also assume the Jewish people probably felt the same way when they didn't see anything for the hundreds of years before Christ came, but nevertheless, I have these feelings from time to time. Thanks. Um, So yeah, we just talked about that, um, explaining the generation part to her, but um, yeah, I, I love that you brought up Noah and his example of walking in faith for a lifetime and being concerned like, How urgent do I need to be putting my hands to the work that the Lord calls me to in his word? Um, Well, I'll just point you to verse 33 right after I just ended in Mark 13. Jesus says, Watch, be alert, for you don't know when the time is coming. It is like a man on a journey who left his house, gave authority to his servants, gave each one his work, and commanded the doorkeeper to be alert. Therefore, be alert, since you don't know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening, or at midnight, or at the crowing of the rooster, or early in the morning. Otherwise, when he comes suddenly, he might find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to everyone, be alert. So yes, follow the footsteps of Noah, walk with God, take this seriously, um, have confidence in the promises of God that he is coming back in the way he's stating, but we don't know when it's going to happen. So, every day, be alert and be productive. That's uh, that's the opportunity we have every day as we know Christ and we follow him, um, to, to be productive and to clearly communicate the word of God. Um, the part about God not doing crazy outward things. I guess she might be pointing to Noah building the ark, which would be crazy. <clears throat> um, or talking about, maybe she's talking about the signs <clears throat> of the end. That's um, how I,
0: <clears throat> I took it as like, you know, the miracles that we...
1: And we've talked about right. a little bit on the podcast in the yeah. past. Miracles, <clears throat> and we don't see it as much in our... Context as as we hear yeah. stories of missionaries that we're friends with that are in different cultures and and things like that. So um, yeah, that's that's a tough one because I guess in Avon, I, Ohio, we don't see it as much. But I
2: I I would question that a little bit. Sure, not question it. I understand what she's saying, but give it some perspective. So yeah. two thousand years ago, what was the situation of? um of christ after his ascension the situation was he ascended on a hill and we're told even in that moment people doubted Mm -hmm. like he resurrected and was about to go up to god and he and people doubted then he had his 12 disciples we know and christianity was born into we live in a world where christianity is ubiquitous it's everywhere it it everyone knows about it at least different amounts of what they know about it, but it's it's common knowledge. Christianity was born into a world that was <clears throat> pagan, uh, polytheistic, um, actively hostile to Christianity, in an empire that uh, Christianity wasn't even a legal religion. Judaism was legal. Christianity was not. And they were actively um, persecuted. Um, from those twelve men, from the commission great Commission, Christianity has grown in two thousand years into the most dominant religion in the world. And it was those twelve, well, it wasn't those twelve men, but it was the work of the Holy Spirit to flip the entire Roman Empire. The <clears throat> empire, the time, the the time, the empire of the time, the world power that was seemingly never going to end, uh, was flipped by Christianity. And then we look at things like the Protestant Reformation, and we look at um, where Christianity has come today. We look at Scripture. No text has, is even close to being on par with what this is mm-hmm. as far as the reliability of the historicity of it, as far as the scrutiny it's been put under, and the attacks it has survived, and it still can't be put down. It still cannot, there's no bullet that's been shot that's put it down. It still survives to this point, over two thousand years. That's shocking. That is yeah. amazing. Every year that this continues to exist, and and now we're facing arguably the biggest resistance, the biggest test of um, of Christianity, and that's secularism. It's standing. It's standing the test every year. It does. It's it's amazing. God is working. He's building his church still. There will be his church until he comes again. We're told that. And um, no, we don't get prophets who are calling down fire on Baal's prophets. Yeah, But Hebrew says, we've been given the son. That's what the prophets really wanted. They wanted to know Jesus. Yeah. They wanted to know about him, who the Messiah was. And we get to know that. Yeah, That's an amazing thing. And God has mm-hmm. spoken. And, and um,
0: yeah. That's what I was going to say. Consider where we are. Yeah. 1 mm-hmm. Peter 1, uh, verse 10. Um, well, let me go a little bit further. Uh, let's see. Though you have not seen him, you love him, though you do not n- now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that you have now that have now been announced to you through those who have preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things to which the angels long mm. to look. That to me is so incredible because I I've had the same moment where I'll be like, man, like Elijah got to see some crazy stuff. Isaiah saw some crazy crazy. Like these guys saw some crazy stuff. Even the apostles saw some crazy stuff. We don't, and, and we forget that the apostles didn't have the New Testament. Yeah, <laughs> they were writing it. So, what has God been showing us outwardly for the last two thousand years? His, His word. His word. Yeah. His word. Yeah. And everything. All we know things Elijah wanted to know. We know things that Isaiah wanted. We know who Jesus is. And so we'll look back sometimes and go, "Man, it would have been so much easier if I could have seen a pillar of fire." Uh, by night leading yeah. me through you know the yeah. wilderness or seeing a great sea depart <laughs> or a staff turn into a snake but but that sometimes is us discounting the absolute miracle of the word of god which is what you were communicating mark like yeah. this thing this thing has been road tested it has taken an absolute beating and somehow survived there's a story out there <clears throat> it's no secret that i've enjoyed uh, van halen over the years and i own an eddie van halen 5150 amp and when they were coming out with this amp and, and eddie van halen's company that he was partnering with was fender music if you don't know fender music fender music is a, a huge uh, maker of, of you know all kinds of instruments um but guitars and amps was their thing uh, their main thing and so uh, they delivered the brand new evh amp to eddie and he wanted to make sure that it was roadworthy. remember this is a guy that was touring stadiums and playing at volumes that are damaging to the ear and he had his 5150 studio they delivered the amp he put the amp head on top of his amp he turned everything up to 10 put plugged it into a guitar turned the volume of the guitar up it started feeding back like crazy he put the guitar down in front of the amp walked out of the studio closed the door didn't go back for a week And just let that thing feed back for a week straight. (laughs) And when he came back, the speakers were still intact, the tubes were still intact, and he goes, now it's ready for the road. Like, he put it to the test. In society, uh, the powers of darkness, our own sin nature have put God's word to the test for forever. (laughs) Like... Not only, you know, uh, his word uh, from you know the old law. I mean, it started a long time ago. People questioning uh, God's word, but now we have the completed work, the canon of scripture, and it is it has survived. This thing is a miracle, and this is to me just as outwardly um, mind blowing and impressive as perhaps seeing uh, a blind person healed. Because now we know about Christ, and and we know the things that we that the prophets wanted. Wanted to know um, who Christ is and his suffering. And we know what we're supposed to do. Yeah. Like we don't have to sit here and not saying that we don't wait on God. We certainly wait on God. And I'll say this, and this might be <clears throat> I think sometimes I shouldn't say we spend too much time praying. I would say we spend too much time praying about the wrong things. We will sit there and labor and pray over things that the Bible makes absolutely clear, you know? Yes. Yeah. And we'll just be like, God, you know? Um, I don't know. Do you, do you want me to serve a church? Do you want me to, you know, do you, how do you want me to use my money? How should I be in my marriage, Lord? Yeah, and and we'll sit there and ask God to re- reveal things to us that we, he's already revealed. God, how do I get closer to you? How do I, you know, how do I show, how can I show you that I love you more? And you get like Jesus saying, if you let me obey my commands, like, mm-hmm. like all these things. Um, and so we don't have to pray about some of the same things that the, you know, we don't have to wait on God like the
2: prophets waited on on God. Um,
1: That'll preach. Yeah. <clears throat>
2: um, and that's, to kind of go back to our series, like this is the nature of faith. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, the nature of this whole chapter we're going through on Sundays and this, I didn't get to it on Sunday. This, uh, That's part six in your sermon series. <laughs> this is where I was trying to go. I got done with my introductions, like, well, we're done. <laughs> All right. Uh, anyway, <clears throat> well, like starting with Noah, you know, it was faith seems to be this—the na- nature of faith seems to be God is— getting things to a situation where it's clear that only he can do it yeah and so noah is put in this position where um you know it hadn't even rained and he's told to build there's gonna be a flood and to build ark. abraham was in the same spot he was told he's gonna have a son and god stretched it and was like well okay you're 90 okay now you're 95 okay now you're 100 right your your wife can't have kids anymore you're 100 um and he got to that point, and yeah. and it's that it is patience, it's waiting, um, and then even beyond that, the the land of promise that I did talk about um, was a, a waiting game. It said he died in faith, and then when you get to the end of chapter eleven, it says all of them died in faith. Everyone, everyone that we're going to talk about in this in this list died in faith, waiting, looking forward to what was coming. Yeah. They, they, were, they were waiting for what's coming, and that's, that's Hebrews 11. That's our message, I think, from one of the primary messages of that chapter. This is a verse um, I, I was going to use but didn't have time for it. Um, in Hebrews 6, earlier in the, in the book, uh, starting at verse 11, and we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end. The end referring to you, the end of your life here to your death, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who, through faith and patience, inherit the promises. So that kind of summarized my message on Sunday, Uh, and it summarizes the idea of faith. It gives you earnestness to have full assurance of hope until the end. It gives you hope until you die. That's one assurance. Second is it also gives you motivation. That you may not be sluggish, don't be lazy, but be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. We're told all these people in Hebrews 11 who inherit the promises through faith, and now we're to be imitators of them. So as you were saying, we're not lazy, we take some action. Yeah. Our faith motivates us to obedience. Yeah. Um, Yeah. We got time for a third? I think we do?
0: Depends on how long-winded Mark is.
2: Yeah, sure. I'll make it quick. Yeah, well, finally. finally. I'm known for short answers. <laughs> this is a yes or no, <laughs> <Right>. so. <laughs> That's right. Hi, pastors. I was visiting with some non church going friends last weekend, and one of them asked this question. What, if anything, does the Bible say about how people, all being descendants of Adam and Eve, ended up all over the world and all looking different from each other in terms of skin color, eye shape, hair types, etc.? I told her about the Tower of Babel and how God separated them to humble them, each now speaking a different language and moving them apart from each other. Maybe just like animals adapt to different environments in order to survive. Perhaps the same happened with humans. Darker skin and eyes for those living in hot, sunny areas, so they can tolerate those conditions better. Lighter skin and eye color for those living in snowy, colder areas, like in Scandinavia, for instance. Long eyelashes for those living in sandy areas, like in the Middle East. Maybe I was way off base. Is this question somehow better answered from a biblical perspective I'll have her listen to your podcast when you answer. There might be some other interesting topics she will be covering that she'd like to listen to as well. Thank you all. I really appreciate your wisdom—the wisdom you impart on each and every podcast. Is this question somehow better answered from a biblical perspective? The answer to that is yes, because every question should be answered through a biblical perspective. That's what it means to have a biblical worldview—is that everything is answered through a biblical perspective. I'm of the opinion that yes, every, it should be answered through a biblical perspective. Mm. So, her, she is she is she's right on. Scripture tells us that we're all descendants of Adam and Eve, and that means we all come from the same original pair. The question then here is how does how have we come to look so different in terms of skin color, eye shape, hair, hair types, all that. I want to start by talking about this idea of race. Um, the first thing she mentions is skin color. When we think of this and we think of humans looking differently, we think of skin color and race. Scripture teaches one race, the human race. Um, so we, per scripture, are all from the same Adam and Eve. How do we have different features? And she's not really far off, my view. I, I would agree generally with what she says. Um, we do adapt We have adapted to some degree based on our environment based on where we live based on um, our conditions Uh, we are affected by our um, by nature that's clear we see that in the animal kingdom as well we see animals adapt um, on small scales over time to their environment i'm going to go to acts 17 talk about this idea Of what Scripture says, because we are, because we are all one race. We are the human race. We are not different, um, and this is something that biochemistry has has shown. Like if you go down to our DNA level, like if you think of someone that is from the Middle East or someone that is African or someone that is Caucasian, there's there's no difference in our DNA. We are all we are all technically the same color, even. Um, we just have different levels of melanin in our skin. Mm-hmm. And that is an adaptation um, just as much as it would be um, the other features she, she lists. Um, so 1726. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods in the boundaries of their dwelling place, so Paul here is um, preaching to um, polytheistic Greek philosopher scholars on Mars Hill, and he tells them, "One man from one man, every nation of mankind came to live." And this is kind of where the the listener's getting at, uh, saying, "After Babel, God moved people to live in different places," and I believe that's what Scripture teaches. Mm-hmm. Now. It wasn't just a matter of God moving people. We remember God's providence over everything in the storyline of Scripture. He is sovereign over everything. I believe he was sovereign after over what happened after Babel, and he has put people in their places. He has caused them to look the way they have looked. He has caused them to be born and causes them to die in the allotted times that he uh, has determined. I think that's what this verse is saying. Um, This word in this verse here, from one man, every nation of mankind. This is the word ethnos in the Greek. And um, this is uh, perhaps a better way for a Christian to think about race, is to think of ethnos. And ethnos has more, you hear the word that comes from that is ethnicity. Um, When Scripture talks about different people groups, He's talking about, they're really talking about different ethnicities, uh, different um, historical geographical backgrounds. Um, When Abraham came along, uh, their lineage can be traced to him, but there's nothing different in his DNA that would make him different than any other human. He's still of the human race. And this is something that... um, so if, if we believe that Adam and Eve is our ultimate ancestor, then um, yeah, we all did come from the same. We all come from the same, um, the same race, and so color of our skin, color of our eyes, color of our hair, um, different features that we might have, um, are just variations that we can trace through through genetics. I mean, we see uh, the genetics uh, affecting that. Um, and then that, that gets us into the discussion of, um, progeny of having, uh, people after their own kind. So when God created in Genesis one, he said, birds and animals have progeny of their kind. The human race has progeny of its own kind. Uh, Cain and Abel were born. Seth was born from Adam and Eve, and they were born, uh, in the likeness and image But they weren't born exact. Yeah. So um, that's what we that's what we see playing out in uh, in history. Um, Yeah.
0: I think some of this obviously you got to piece together. Scripture doesn't tell us exactly you know when and how. I think adaptation is a I think a viable view. I I think that you know. We know that our bodies adapt. We, we see this all the time. Like I've got calluses on the tips of the fingers of my left hand because I play guitar and I've got calluses on both hands, you know, down where the finger meets the, the hand itself because I lift weight, like your body's adapted. So now the skin is rough and that, and that's what it does. I think it's likely again, scripture doesn't tell us specifically when that happened. Um, You got to wonder, you know, but this idea of adaptation happened because of the fall. Like all of a sudden we had to adapt to environments. We don't know had Adam and Eve not eaten of the tree of knowledge, uh, of the knowledge of good and evil. um, You know, if they would have produced children, we don't know what any of that looked like. I mean, we uh, adapt to certain environments. Certain environments are cold. Certain environments are are hotter than normal. Our bodies have to adapt now pre I mean, pre-fall, would there have been a need for that? Bible doesn't get into it. It's all, all of that. I think partially. I mean, certainly, Bible talks about nations, right? And I think that's a great example of it. I think as a society, we've placed more um, emphasis on this, you know, uh, than the Lord does. He created one race, human race. He created two, right. two genders, male and female. Um, he makes it clear that, you know, in you know, uh, salvation available to to everybody. Neither. And you talked about it on Sunday, right? I did. Neither yeah. male nor female nor Greek nor jew <clears throat> It's kind of level playing playing ground for this kind of stuff. I think again, this is a viable thing. What I like to do when I get to you know uh, questions like this is I try to figure out what I know for sure. And for me, when I look at you know where did all these different color, skin, eye shape, hair, height, all that stuff, weight, where did it all? all come from we bible doesn't tell us specifically when we know when the separation of the languages came but we don't know you know at that moment when that started to change when uh you know an individual came out that was lighter skinned or darker skinned or had more hair or less hair we, we don't know the the origins of those yeah. those changes um we don't even know what adam and eve like. like we don't know we yeah. we have no clue um so we don't know when it happened and we don't know how you know, we can assume adaptation based on climate and things like that but but we do know we do know why why god has allowed a varying number of people because it displays his glory mm-hmm. right. it displays his creation i go to verses like i read these down ephesians uh 210 where god's masterpiece Re- uh, revelation four eleven, like we were all created in, uh, you know for God's glory, Romans one twenty, God's invisible qualities are displayed um, through His creation. Psalm nineteen, the heavens declare the glory of God. Created the world, He created people as uh, an expression of the nature of His creative character. It seems like every year they're finding a new fish in the ocean or a new species of whatever is snake or insect i mean god's creativity is part of how he displays his glory and so when we see uh, and it's mankind's own sin that has distorted god's view of his creativity yeah we would look at a, a person and the bible does you know designate you know there are certain things that god deemed, you know, beautiful. We talked about it, you know, the beauty of, of the Lord, God created people. And he stepped back and he goes, this is, this is good. Everything he created was, was good because of our own, uh, societal views. And, and I would say, uh, sin in our life, we've, uh, you know, decided that certain things are better than others. As far as there's ideal heights now, I don't know if you've seen this. There's a, I think it was on Snapchat, there is a filter that you can use now that will give you perfect, I'm air quoting for our listeners, perfect um, symmetry on your face. So they decided. Society decided this is what the most beautiful woman. These are what the most handsome man looked like, and there were similarities as far as distribution of you know uh, length between uh, the eyes or width between the eyes, forehead as it compares the chin, and you can do this to yourself and it'll change. Society's come up with with all right. all of this, and we've played into all of this uh, to a certain degree. Um, so what we know for sure is that God has allowed all different. Uh, color skin uh, shape of eyes height weight all of these things um as a way to display his glory and his, his, and, reflect his and reflect his we character reflect we see the yeah. like
2: this is an apologetic for the doctrine of the trinity as well um that the diversity of creation is mm-hmm. reflected in the godhead yeah the diversity of the godhead right. equal in value
0: different in function yeah 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 that's great jad you got thoughts
1: yeah, a student actually asked me the same question Sunday morning, so this is a great question, listener. send them the podcast. And I sure will. And, uh, <laughs> well, the way I answered it really briefly um, was kind of a mix of, of how the listener answered it and and you guys, and I put a timeline on the dry erase board and just kind of said, like you just said, um, Neil, here's what we do know. There was Adam and Eve, you know, filling some gaps, went to Tower of Babel. Right. People were building this up to the heavens with the, uh, the intention that we, we're going to get the glory. This was all about humanity's glory together, um, not thinking about God. <clears throat> what does God do? Uh, it seems like from Scripture, he scatters them, and now what was uh, an attempt for human glory now is a display of God's creativity and his glory, right. <laughs> which is really, really interesting and gives you some chills if you really think about it. That's really cool. Um, God is the one who gets the glory, even after that. So, um, yeah, love that you brought up Acts seventeen twenty six. Mm-hmm. God even knew where people would be living. And right after that, it says that that so people could, or so people would right. um, pursue him. Yeah. That's pretty cool. So, yeah. love this question. It's very interesting. We do have to kind of fill in some gaps with our imagination. Like you guys have said, when it happened, don't know. But yeah. certainly... a. Adapting seems to be a a good um, well. It happens answer now, and
0: God's um, like you. In science, we trust was <laughs> the series that you did. Yeah, um yeah. Last year, you know, two it was, summers ago, it was two summers ago. Um, and I recommend anybody go back and listen. To that it was great, a great series that you put together. And part of what you are communicating is that is that these things are not separate. Like God is in charge of science <laughs> like mm-hmm. yeah he he is he's over all of these things and through all these things and science displays uh can display god's god's glory it's what we do with this information uh that sometimes will get us in in trouble um yeah. i think what's interesting here is that yeah, i was visiting with some non-church going friends last weekend and one of them asked this this question what if anything does the bible say about how people the sentence of adam and eve and so um I love that this, and by non church going, I don't know if that means that they're just don't go to a church or whether or not that means that they're not believers, hard to say, Um, but uh, these are the kind of questions, and the majority of the people listening to our podcast, I would assume, are people that God has given faith, and they have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and these are questions that are um, good to answer. And if you've got somebody that says a non church going or a non-Christian that says, what does the Bible have to say? This is why we always need to be prepared to have an answer. And I'm not saying that this listener should have had an answer in the bag. Um, what I'm wanting to communicate is when you don't know those things, tell people, listen, I don't know that off the top of my head, but if you, and, and this is probably likely what this individual did, I know this individual and very um, thoughtful individual. And so you know, let me ask, let me get some answers. Don't feel like you need all the answers. But again, we want to try to know as much Scripture as, as we can. Um, but this is a person that's asking what the Bible says about something. And yeah. that's that's always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you for the hope that you have in Christ. And again, they're talking about specifically what the hope you have in Christ, but the hope we have in Christ comes from our belief that the Bible is the infallible Word of God. If you've got somebody that, that doesn't say, you know, or is just saying, well, what, where do all the different people come from if we're all descended from, you know, Adam and Eve? And then I would probably redirect that conversation to, like we've talked about in the podcast, well, where do you get your truth from? Yeah. Because to answer a question like that where a person isn't wanting to know what the Bible says, to say well, the Bible says, uh, again, is, is maybe not going to be as fruitful as, as you want, but... Um, these are the types of questions that you know you'll get from people that aren't necessarily in church, and maybe questions that many of our people who are in church on a regular basis want to know as well. So, just to kind of summarize, yeah. you know, don't know necessarily how or even specifically when we got some good indications, but we know why, and for God's glory. Any final thoughts?
1: Yeah, it's like the it's like the Jenga tower, not the Tower of Babel. Somebody trying to say if this is incorrect. We mm. all come from Adam and Eve. Well, then why are there all these people? Then the, your whole Bible is wrong. Yeah. Right? But, uh, yeah, there's a biblical worldview that we can look through to get answers for this. And that's the beauty of the wave. All ethnicities <laughs> come together. The table of nations.
0: I can't <laughs> believe how much I've talked about the wave today. Bringing it back. And, not, right and not, not the cool <laughs> jazz station. You're anti-wave. I don't know. Yeah. The gospel according to Mark. Yeah. Mark chapter one.
1: Second Mark. I came right. in here thinking we were gonna be doing it together and no. I have two people who are just starkly against I'm not, a,
2: I'm not against Can it. Can you I'm, even do the wave with three people?
1: Absolutely. My you're, definition. You're gonna start
2: it.
0: Here's what I gotta say. I'm you're not anti wave mass. I will do the wave. I don't wanna I don't wanna talk about it. Yeah. It's more of a ripple with three yeah, people, but <laughs> look at this. <laughs> wave man dot com <laughs> yeah get the website get the get website the domain. yeah <laughs> right there might be a market for this mm-hmm. but there might not be also yeah and so i would lean on there <laughs> might not be So, any any other thoughts about anything in the whole wide world whole wide world mark
2: i'm just checking waveman.com to make sure we're not sending people to uh oh yeah, oh.
0: yeah, yeah good call Okay. I'm sure that's something. It's something. Is it bad?
2: No. Chad doesn't it really have a website. I think our listeners. I don't know, know what know it that. is, but. Yeah. Neither endorse or
0: condemn. <laughs> <laughs> What's the biblical perspective on WaveMan.com? <laughs> let's piece it well, together. Well, let's go to Second Mark. That's it. That's it. Um, well, thank you guys. Thanks thank you. you. Yeah, it's good to be back. Uh, yes. Episode 54. You know what I realized we did not do? We didn't welcome people to the atrium. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't welcome people to the atrium. I really the thumbnail. The You're rusty. I'm very rusty. Yeah. I've been rusty for a while. Um, well, thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. If you do have questions for the atrium podcast, you can email those questions to podcast at com or you can text your question to 440-HOPE.
1: Two. Two. <laughs> <laughs> too <laughs> was that your
0: wave version of numbers
1: i tried to involve my friend vinny here ah we don't get along but i bet vinny could wave yeah in the wind there you go what are we
0: calling this are we calling it wave man
1: wave man swimming for the atrium
0: swimming for the atrium <laughs> we've got our first <laughs> <That's right>. subtitle <laughs> yeah we'll
1: see i think you guys are gonna fist fight about waves when this is done <laughs> probably, probably yeah
0: all right well thanks for watching thanks for listening we'll see you next week